0: The following podcast is not for children and contains discussions of adult themes. In addition, this particular episode discusses abuse against submissives and grief. Listeners' discretion is advised. And remember, listeners, the dreamiest thing you can do is listen to your own needs.
1: Welcome back to the Three Little Words podcast, where we read and rank romance novels on steaminess, dreaminess, and memeiness. I'm Nicole,
0: and I'm Claudia.
1: And today we will be discussing Eight Kinky Nights, a Hanukkah romance by Zan West. Claudia
0: and uh, <gasps> I mentioned my little my little gag here. Oh my god! It's not going to be that long. <laughs> <laughs> Hanukkah is. Festival of Lights. Instead of one day of sex, we get eight kinky nights. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when you you feel like the only one in town without a Christmas book, <laughs> here's a list of characters who are Jewish. Let's go take a look. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I figured it was appropriate because...
1: Amazing.
0: Because the title definitely comes from Eight Crazy Nights in the holocaust song, right?
1: Oh, for sure.
0: So let's just wrap it back around.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this book kicks off our fun month of dyke Woo! Claudia, Mm -hmm. what'd you think of this book?
0: I liked it. (laughs) I'm going to be straight with you. The first half to like two thirds of this book were very difficult for me to get through not because of the quality of the book but because of how hard it hit and how close to home it hit for me they get into some shit in this book that some of it is like my exact trauma (laughs) oh no oh my god it's it was a little much like the first while of this book where it was like i had two weeks to read this book i was just struggling And I was struggling in a way where my Mm -hmm. brain was, like, trying to do anything else. I would open up the book, I would look at it for, like, 30 minutes, try and read a page, and then all of a sudden I would just kind of, like, I would be on the Wikipedia page for Harold and Maude, and I would be like, how did I get here? (laughs) My brain just kind of wanted to glide off of it and not, not, like, revisit that sort of thing. But once I... Once I talked about it in therapy, because I ended up needing to talk about this in therapy. I got into it and I really enjoyed it. Nicole, what did you think of this book?
1: I did think part of it was like hard to get through. And I think it's because I mentioned, you know, before we started recording that this book isn't really plot heavy. It's very theme heavy. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it was like hard for me to get through this book. Also, it was just long
0: It is a long book. This is, I believe, the longest book we've read for this podcast.
1: Oh my gosh. So I liked the book, but I also didn't really care for it at the same time, you know? Mm -hmm. Like there are some things about this book. I could say like really good things about it, Mm -hmm. but it was difficult for me to get through.
0: Now, if there was like a pared down version of this book, would you like that better? I think so. Mm
1: -hmm. Because like there was a lot in here that I feel like didn't really need to be in here. Mm-hmm. And that's what made it like a bit difficult for me to get through too. I feel I feel like if we just like focused on a couple of things instead of like every aspect about every character's life, then it'd be more palatable. Oh no, but like that being said, again, I can I have really good things to say about this book. I don't want this to come off as like me just being like, eh, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. I will say I think some of the more superfluous elements of the book are actually uh, elements of an XWLU, a Zan West literary universe, because <laughs> the whole like Leather Family, Gideon and and that group, uh-huh. are actually the main characters of another Zan West book. Ah, so I'm guessing. The fact that they're here and the amount of time that they get. I'm not going to say it's like an overbearing amount of time, Mm -hmm. but they do get a decent amount of time and they do like revolve around like Leah's half of the book a bit. Mm -hmm. I feel that's probably kind of fanservice-y in a way. Yeah. And just kind of like, I feel probably Zan West indulging in in their OCs. Yeah. I think that's kind of nice. Yeah. But also, you know.
1: And I think that's like part of the reason it was hard for me to get through too. It's just like we had such a big cast, but so much of the cast, like I didn't care for them, you know? <laughs> it's like I wanted to focus yeah. like, on our two main leads here. Fortunately, I don't know if your copy of the book, because you got the ebook, came with like the fun little resources at the end with like it did. character names or the cast of characters and stuff. It that did. Was, I, I had to dog ear that page because I kept forgetting people. <laughs>
0: I didn't know that was there until after I finished the book. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, that is very helpful. I wish I would known about that beforehand, but, you know. <laughs> but I mean, like, listen to this list of characters, readers. We got our two protagonists, Leah Blumenstein, Jordan Stern, and then Leah's friends and connections, Bev, Tyler, Marcos, Iris, David, Rebecca, Ruth, Xavier, and then Jordan's friends and connections. Danny, Erica, RJ, Tal, Gideon's Leather Family, Ellie, Gideon, Ernest, Nora, Judith, Shiloh, Reina, Naomi, Rachel, at Jordan's New Job Safe Haven, Jax, Zach, uh, and Atlea's Sex Shop, Brazen, uh, Amaya, Octavia, and then Community Connections, Violet, Liliana, and Robin, um, I'm going to be straight. I do appreciate having everyone's like names and pronouns list back here and who they are in relation to the characters, because sometimes I will make this for myself. But at the same time, it's like, I'm trying to think of how many of these characters are really relevant and how many of these are going to come up in our summary.
1: I don't think like <laughs> any of them, like a couple.
0: Most of these will not. I'm going to give you like, like six. Of course, our main characters then Bev is almost certainly going to come up. Mm -hmm. Danny, in a way. (laughs) Erica is definitely going to come up out of like the 25 here I think that we're going to bring up. Jesus. And it's like, it's good to like have all these characters because even the minor characters, especially in a very queer book, I would genuinely be wondering like, what is this person's pronouns? Especially because so many people here use neo pronouns as well. Mm -hmm. I would have wondered, but at the same time, there there's just a lot of characters in this book. Yeah. And if we're going to tear into other books for that, we're going to at least mm-hmm. we're we're going to give this book a light a light chastisation for that.
1: I don't think any of our other books have had such a huge cast.
0: The closest to this was Mountain Retreat Murder. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Where they just introduced a ton of characters and then none of them matter.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, they didn't matter, but here they mattered a little bit and so that all the more confusing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like a lot of these characters will bring like little pieces of the puzzle to fill in here, Mm -hmm. you know, because the book is essentially about like Leah and Jordan coming to terms with the fact that they love each other Mm -hmm. in like a romantic way and being able to like handle that. And a whole bunch of people, like, bring their opinions and bring their love and their help to this relationship. That is important. But when you're, like, essentially doing a two-hour Wikipedia summary of of a book, you're going to end up cutting some people. And, unfortunately, a lot of people like RJ, Jordan's friend from Twitter, the two women who host Femme Brunch, Rachel's dominant and Naomi's submissive. I'm sorry, they're getting cut. Also, let's talk now how are we pronouncing capital D slash lowercase s? Because I kept reading that. I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to pronounce this DS like SM. Because every time I do that, I'm like, are we getting down Nintendo? Nintendogs? Are we playing (laughs) the the DS here? But just saying dom sub doesn't like fit the syntax. I don't know.
1: I always read it as dom sub. And then like if it needed to change to like dominant submissive, my brain would just automatically make that change for me. Like depending on the context.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's start here then, Nicole. How kinky would you would you say that you are in relation to this book?
1: I don't know. <laughs> Not very.
0: <laughs> I also felt like like oh my god, I don't. I one of the things I felt like going into this book is I feel like such an outsider.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I mean, like I'm sure that's how Jordan feels too. Yeah. But like, there was a lot of stuff where I was like, oh, I don't. I either don't know what the hell that is, or I'm just straight up not into it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is fine. Not every kinky person is into everything.
1: Yeah, exactly. So before we like discuss that in more depth, because I also have things to say, I think it's worth noting now that this episode is going to be structured a little differently than other episodes. Mm -hmm. Because you know, while there is plot we want to get through, I feel what's more important here is just the discussion of the themes of the book. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to discuss there.
0: Yeah, it is a very thematically rich book. And like I said, I really enjoyed this book. I really enjoyed the themes of the book, to be Mm -hmm. honest, I think that a lot of them like ring really strongly. Mm -hmm. I think that Zan West was a very talented writer. I know there's a lot of points that really just really shine through, Mm -hmm. especially in overall structure.
1: Yeah. Hard agree on Zan West being a very talented writer. Again, I think that's why, I I think the giant cast of characters, I think that specifically was what just kind of affected like my experience reading the book. Mm -hmm. Because it's like we have two great main characters and I only care about them. I don't care about these other people, you know? It's like, I I want just to focus on them because I have only so much care and to have it divided amongst a cast of like 400 people made it kind of exhausting.
0: You only have so many Blorbo points to spend. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: I don't know. It's a good book. I think that some stuff could have been from it.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: I'm also glad it's there in a way, mm-hmm. because I can tell that the author had fun writing this book.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What other book do we say this about? Where it's like, I wish there was more, but also, oh, our monster fucker book. On the water. Yes. I kept wanting to say shape of water because I rewatched that <laughs> today. I'm like, that's not it.
0: <laughs> the hourglass shape of water.
1: Exactly. (laughs) So like this book, like there was so much in here character wise that it's like if you took some of that out and put it in like a separate book, I'd be into it. Just like don't feed me too much on this one plate, you know?
0: Maybe if you took it out and you titled it perhaps His Troublesome Crush and you published it as its own 400 page novel, I think that that would probably be good. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Absolutely, but going back to what we were saying earlier, yeah, getting through this book, I was like, "Wow, apparently I'm not kinky at all. Apparently I'm the most vanilla bitch on the planet." Because yeah. like, oh my god,
0: a whole bunch of the book, I was like that, <laughs> and then there was one chapter where it really turned and I was like, "Okay, I'm here again. Never mind, <laughs> I, I, I'm here," and that was that was. She launched into the scenarios describing different kinds of dom sub dynamics doing a big brainstorm with Jordan as they read each scenario, writing down keywords and things that charged the power dynamic. Then she picked up a blue marker and circled three words that would be today's focus, claiming, feral, and sexual. And I was like, you know that meme of like the comic panel of like somebody's like fingertips digging into their thighs, <laughs> and, like like trying to keep it together. It's like, yeah, that's me. Like
1: horny grip intensifies. Like, huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, again, just like a recurring theme in our podcast is us being really into like the primal shit. <laughs> uh,
0: except for except for Victor.
1: Oh, no, Victor. You-
0: Victor just did not do it for us.
1: No, <laughs> he had too many red
0: flags. <laughs> <laughs> also, I gotta say that if we do not count Vladimir, which I will say, Let's not count Vladimir in this because <laughs> Vladimir was not a romance novel. Mm-hmm. This is actually the oldest set of protagonists that we've had. Yes. Because Jordan is 49 and Leah is 51.
1: 51, yeah. It's really nice seeing an older cast.
0: Yeah, it is. I really admired how in your face all of the characters are about themselves, you know? Like how both of our main characters are fat queer autistic one is disabled one is asexual oh and they're of course both jewish i appreciate how much of those identities plays into like their everyday life because like yeah it does Mm -hmm. like i talk about how like i want to be out as plural in more places because then i have to censor my stories less because being plural is a thing that is happening to me constantly Mm -hmm. and that i'm partaking in constantly much like, you know, someone being fat or autistic or queer or Jewish or disabled, gray asexual, you know, I appreciate how much of that is in there.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't go a single page without reading about the characters experiencing that because that's their lives, you know?
0: Yeah, there are live chapters where Jordan's um, I don't know what her disability is. She has arthritis or something, but she has a lot of trouble with like her hips and her knees. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of chapters where that comes up and she's having pain flares and that factors into elements of the plot.
1: Which, oh man, I found those painfully relatable. I broke my wrist a million years ago. And so when Jordan was saying that she had flare ups during the cold, I was like, oh, I feel that. Mm. Have you ever broken a bone?
0: I have not. r slash uh, never broke a bone. Oh, nah. no. No up, brother.
1: I unfortunately have. I broke my wrist in three places and fractured it in two. Dear listeners, I ran into a brick wall. Um, <laughs> How
0: did you do that?
1: <laughs> I was, it was during recess. I was playing a game. We were playing um, wall ball. Mm-hmm. And so I like caught the ball, but then I dropped it. So I had to run and tag the wall and then I somehow tripped over my own feet and just like smashed my wrist against the wall.
0: Oh, but I
1: did it before I could be tagged out, so.
0: Oh, okay, that's worth it.
1: Fuck it, we ball. <laughs> it's called uh, being an athlete.
0: I'm sorry. I need to respect that. <laughs> I was that.
1: 10. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was your peak athleticism.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I could have I been D1 wall ball, but I broke my wrist.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: So here I am 18 years later, and I still have problems with my wrist on occasion. So relatable content.
0: Yeah. I mean, do we want to start getting into like a summary? I know that we're not focusing on the summary so much. Mm-hmm. But I think that before we go further, I think we need a base to start out with here.
1: Oh, yeah. We got to properly introduce our characters here. Yes. Before we even get into that.
0: Before we Before we get into it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> before we get to like the actual story. I did appreciate the content notes right at the beginning of the book. Yes. Which had like, you know, trigger warnings and everything. We don't see that like ever.
0: We had one other book and that was Love Me Whole. Yeah. That also had, had a content warning in the beginning, mm-hmm. but it was not nearly as thorough here. It's like four pages in my Kindle version.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's, it's two pages here in my physical copy. But yeah, I mean, they really get into the nitty gritty here and they even list chapter numbers yeah which i thought was great because honestly a lot of these chapters can be skipped and you'd still have a very good idea as to what the story's about so if you do want to skip you know one specific part with let's say unhealthy dom sub relationships you can skip through like this chapter and this chapter and this chapter where they go in depth into depth about you know, those relationships.
0: I mean, that kind of makes the large cast and like the kind of not heavy plot work with the content warnings and makes the content warnings work with the plot. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can cut out a bunch of the story and still enjoy it.
1: And then right after that, there is a brief note about trans and non-binary terms uh, in which the author details some pronoun examples that are used mm. because, yeah, we do have a cast here with a wide range of pronouns.
0: Yes, honestly, I think that sadly, every character with Neo pronouns we're probably going to cut from the summary. But I would like to say that there are people in this book who use zero pronouns and the here pronouns. And I appreciate that because I know a lot of people who use neo-pronouns and I think it's nice to have characters in books that, that represent you, you know? Yeah,
1: especially, uh, I, I guess we could introduce the characters before I get into this. Yeah. I just want to point out something about their their ages.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, let's meet our characters here, our two leads. We have 49-year-old Jordan who is moving to New York City into her longtime friend Leah's apartment. Apartment? House? Apartment. apartment. It's <laughs> New
0: York City. It's an apartment. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so Leah is 51, and the two have been friends for 30 years, which like, whoa, that'll be us. That'll be us in <laughs>
0: 20 years. <laughs> Woo! <laughs>
1: Right off the bat, literally page one, I mean, this book is very upfront as to what it is. Okay, first line of the book is Leah speaking to Jordan. You don't have to go. Your flight just got in this morning. I know you must be fucking splatted, which I had never heard. (laughs) Splatted. Jordan says, I want to go. I've never gotten to see you do your thing before. I've been dying to for years. Leah's like, are you sure? It might make you uncomfortable. And we learn that they're talking about a fisting class. Yeah. Literally all on the first page
0: yeah, <laughs> of chapter one. Of this book is very fisting heavy. Yeah. <laughs> they make no qualms. And this is, in fact, a kinky book. I sent you a message in our book talk channel. I said, listen, I know this is called Eight Kinky Nights, but I didn't expect it to be so kinky. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's be real. When you get a, like, published book, usually about kink stuff it's usually pretty tame
1: tame and also just straight up incorrect yeah (laughs) looking at you 50 shades
0: (laughs) instead of 50 shades of presents we get eight kinky nights (laughs) there we go (laughs) stupid (laughs) anyway
1: you can find that on uh claudia's soundcloud
0: (laughs) I'll write a whole Zan West parody of of the Hanukkah song.
1: I think you have to now. Possibly. (laughs) So yeah, chapter one, all about fisting. So Leah is the owner of a sex shop and she also provides like sex ed classes, which is very cool. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about, you know, what they should teach you in high school and stuff. I'm talking about like... Here are proper fisting techniques.
0: Yeah, it sounds very comprehensive. And it sounds like Leah is a good teacher, to be honest, which I mean, probably speaks Mm -hmm. to Zan West's own teaching because they were a sex educator as well. Oh, Mm -hmm.
1: I did not know that. But I mean, that is not surprising, just... Reading the book, the book is very informative.
0: Yeah, I learned some stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. Aside from learning things too, it also made me think about things that I normally wouldn't think about. You know, like what? Like there's one point where um one of <laughs> one of the ensemble members who is a submissive, and she's a service submissive, and was bringing their dominant. I think like a plate of food or something and then also brought a plate of food to Jordan and Jordan was like confused by that. And so Jordan spoke to the other Dom and was saying, hey, like, is this like a Dom sub thing? And apparently it kind of was. And so the sub actually asked for Jordan's consent to continue serving because it might have also be taken like in a way that the sub didn't intend for it to be taken because Jordan is disabled. So it's not like, oh, like me being an able bodied person, like doing something for you because you can't or like something, you know, she didn't want it to be taken that way. And it's like, that's not even something that I would have considered.
0: Yeah, exactly. I really appreciate how much of this book is about consent.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is also how I was like raised, where if I'm at somebody's house or something, I see what I can do to help. You know, if it's a birthday party, I will be bringing people slices of cake, you know? But Mm -hmm. I never thought of service as something that should be consented to,
0: you know? Yeah, it's interesting. I like this book. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So Jordan is moving to New York because she is recently divorced, which makes her the second older divorced Butch that we have had on this podcast. <laughs> and Jordan is maybe not quite as divorced as Dell, but she still has big divorced energy.
1: Dell was super divorced.
0: <laughs> I think Dell and, and Jordan should talk sometime. <laughs>
1: have fun yeah jordan is divorced and we get some initial glimpses into that marriage early on where her ex danny very vanilla so jordan never got to explore this kinkier side of her where she thinks she would enjoy being a dom but it was totally off the table with danny later on in the book they even mentioned that danny never even wanted to use like a strap-on or anything. Mm -hmm. So very, very, very little room for experimentation.
0: Yeah. Leah is also, she's not like freshly out of a relationship, but she was in a relationship for like five or so years. They broke up like a decade ago, and she's still feeling the effects of it, Mm -hmm. which is also a core part of her story here.
1: Yes. So despite being friends for so long, Leah always kept this kink side of her this kink centric part of her out of their friendship because she just assumed that Jordan was vanilla because her marriage and sex life with Danny was super vanilla you know went out of her way to not really talk about her job or her life as a sub to Jordan because she didn't want to make her uncomfortable which very considerate
0: honestly yeah
1: like being friends with somebody for 30 years I feel like I would have let something slip
0: oh yeah same Journalists say that she wants to try to explore this side of herself that she's never really let herself explore before or never really been able to explore before. She wants Leah to help her if Leah is willing. And that starts with, like, wanting to attend this class that Leah is teaching tonight. Leah is initially pretty thrown by this because autistic. Like, I've been thinking of you as vanilla for 30 years. Give me five minutes, please. Also, this is such a minor thing, but since it comes up here in the first few pages, Jordan describes herself as (laughs) a divorced 49-year-old pansexual stone butch dom that's new to kink. I want to focus on three words here. Pansexual stone butch. I really appreciate that Mm -hmm. because there is a section of the lesbian community that has said, and maybe I'm just fucking Tumblr poisoned, but (laughs) that has said like, only lesbians specifically should be allowed to use the words uh, butch and femme. And as a lesbian myself, I think that's fucking bullshit. I think mm-hmm. that any woman or woman aligned person has a right to use that. Mm-hmm. The weak argument that's given is like, you know, if if like bisexual women use the word femme or the word butch, Men will think that lesbians can be into them. It's like men think that already. Men are fucking stupid and That's entitled. So true. Like, why are we like? You just want to be special. So I appreciate Zan West taking a hard stance on being like these non-monosexual characters are using butch and femme.
1: Mm-hmm. What's a stone butch?
0: <laughs> so Stone is a queer person. I don't know if it's specifically. Like uh, a Will-a-woo thing, a woman loving women thing. Willowoo. But that's where I typically associate. A stone is somebody who has like hard sexual limits around certain things. Typically a stone femme does not want to touch their partner sexually at all, like their, their genitals or anything at all. And a stone butch does not want to be touched at all, which makes stone butch and stone femme... A great couple Mm -hmm. sexually at least it sometimes has to do with dysphoria it sometimes has to do with trauma and sometimes it's just genuinely a personal preference and it's not anything that is you know inherently good or bad i think that people especially shit on stone femmes you know saying that they're pillow princesses they're contributing nothing and it's like no they're still here and present and participating it's like just because you don't do certain things doesn't mean that you're you're a bad dyke, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Cool, thank you. I, I did not know what, what the term stone meant.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And I think I just like kind of glazed over that when I
0: read this. And I mean, that's an important part of Jordan's journey here as well, where she's finally letting herself be stone, because her wife did not like that. And like, essentially, it seems made her be touched sometimes, which sucks
1: her wife kind of (laughs) sucked
0: her wife sucks a lot both both their exes oh boy am i gonna get into leah's ex later
1: oh boy oh yeah
0: (laughs) no fuck it let's get into bev now fuck Fuck
1: it let's do it fuck bev Bev
0: hardcore listen danny sucks so much but bev we hear so much about bev and i want to i want to track down bev and fucking fight her (laughs) Because some of the shit Bev did to Leah is like my exact drama. Where like, Bev wanted Leah as her submissive to be sexually available at all times. And Leah has a nightmare later on, which definitely seems to be based on real events. Where she is like being pressured into having sex. And she's like, is it going to be easier if I just say yes? Like, is it going to cause me trouble if I just say yes? And it's like, oh boy, if I haven't had that exact experience before... And that shit fucks you up. Mm -hmm. And then the shit that she did on top of that, the way that Bev ended this relationship. So Leah stood up to her at one party where Bev was saying some turf shit. Yep. Where she was saying that like trans women shouldn't be in these like play spaces. And Leah stood up to her publicly because she wouldn't listen privately, I guess. And she started talking about it publicly. So Leah put her foot down there. And then, at, like, the next play party they went to, Bev very publicly and very brutally broke up with her. She said some things that really hurt in front of a room full of people at a party, and I realized this morning that part of me still believes she might have been right. She said I was willful, like it was the worst thing in the universe to be, that I was useless. Leah took a jagged breath, and that I'd never be any good to a dominant. And then she took off her collar, the collar that she had given Leah, Then she took off her collar, grabbed her safety scissors, and cut it up, dropping the pieces on the floor in front of me. And let me tell you, I would fucking throw hands. Honestly, if I was at this party witnessing it, Bev would not leave that room the same. Nope. Like, you don't do that shit. What the fuck? That's, like, genuine, like, horrible abuse. Just... In public. In public. What are you doing? To be fair, Bev did get banned from play parties after that. But a big thing, like towards the end of the book, is that nobody communicated to Leah that, like, what Bev did to her was fucked up.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Which also is so, so much and so shitty. Like, Leah got suicidal.
1: Yeah. I mean, to be, like, publicly shamed like that, could you Mm -hmm. imagine? I mean, no wonder she has her reservations about pursuing anything romantic with anybody. Like, that's fucking traumatic.
0: Yeah. I really appreciated what Jordan said about it. Jordan sat with that for a bit. Then she asked, her voice quietly neutral, you blamed yourself for trusting her, for loving her, for needing her, and decided that was the problem? And it's like, goddamn if Jordan doesn't, like, cut right to the issue. Mm -hmm. Like, leah trusted somebody somebody broke that trust and leah decided that trusting somebody was the issue that did her wrong not the person that she shouldn't trust anyone Mm
1: -hmm.
0: at least not in that way again
1: yeah these two characters have so much depth to them they do that i really 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 loved reading about there was just so much substance here again i think that's why the whole cast of characters was like kind of a turnoff for me because I'm like, I I care so much about our our leads here. Yeah. Give me more of them.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Towards the beginning of the book, I had this weird feeling of like, why are these two such fucking dorks all the time? (laughs) (laughs) And like with each other too, I'm like, it didn't process to me while reading a romance novel, like why are the characters acting like this? And then it clicked for me. We have never read friends to lovers on this show before. We've never had an established relationship progress in that way before. These are just two dorks with 30 years of friendship. Yeah. Once that clicked for me, it's like, I absolutely love that. But I mean, I I really enjoyed it before. But like, just them being able to joke around and have like little inside jokes and things and things that they, they reference just knowing so much about each other and being open with their mm-hmm. special interests and shit. It's like, I love that.
1: Oh Yeah, I did not realize that, that this was our first Friends to Lovers book.
0: We've read Enemies to Lovers before.
1: That we have.
0: Huh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Huh. huh. But yeah, it was really nice seeing it. And so something I want, because we're just hopping around here. Yeah. But something that I want to talk about is just them being older and how, for me at least, <laughs> every single older person like in that age range has been fucking terrible at communication. Again, I don't know if that's just like my personal experience with people of that age. No, no, I get you. So it was honestly like, kind of shocking to see two older people being so open and so communicative. It was so pleasant, but also kind of jarring.
0: Yeah, I was amazed at how little of this book was miscommunication. Mm -hmm. You know, like, Once they figure out what a problem is, they address it. Mm -hmm. My God. And uh, it's probably because they're both in therapy.
1: Honestly, yeah. (laughs) Actually, yeah. That's, That's definitely it. I mean, so later on in the book, Jordan proposes Dia of romance, which terrifies Leah. And Leah cannot at that moment say anything. And so Jordan understands that. And then eventually... Leah writes her a letter. So even though something cannot be communicated at that time, it is communicated. And the other party always understands that, hey, this isn't something you can handle right now, but there's always the knowledge that it will be addressed at some point at their own time. Yeah. And that in it of itself, I think, is like a form of communication, you know? It is.
0: And i really appreciate one particular thing where they're going to have like a serious conversation about something. And one of them is like, do you want to do this now? And the other is like, can we do this over text? Because I feel I communicate better there. And it's like, that's what me and my spouse do. Like we (laughs) communicate better over text. And we often have some serious conversations over fucking text because like we are able to better communicate that way and more openly communicate that way and really like think about what we're saying and stuff. And I just loved seeing that on the the written page, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, it's not just me.
1: (laughs) No, not at all. And even if that's not somebody's like preferred form of communication, it works for them. And I love seeing them like using that.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: They're so good, I love them. I really do love our two leads here.
0: They're great characters to be honest. They're so great. They're very engaging. Mm -hmm. And like, while we're talking about things that we found really refreshing, I appreciate that both of our main characters and a lot of our side characters in this book are fat and described as fat and that being Mm -hmm. a positive thing, or Mm -hmm. at least a neutral thing. And I am somebody who is not fat, but has struggled with body image a lot. Mm -hmm. I've struggled with eating disorders in the past and will into the future, to be completely honest. And two have fat characters be sexy in a way that's not fetishizing was nice. I really found Leah to be fucking sexy, to be honest.
1: Oh my god, absolutely.
0: And I mean, the older elements too were like, goddamn, if I'm not afraid of aging, you know, at 25, my spouse's mother was like, do you have anything you're planning for your 30th birthday? Because this one. is very strange <laughs> and horrible. And my answer was, I don't know, have you seen Logan's Run? Which is a movie about a society where they euthanize people when they turn 30. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my outlook on aging for a long time. But to have this and not have it be so weird, like in Vladimir, it, it was mm-hmm. weird when it came up in Vladimir. Yeah. It was nice. It, it's nice to see older queer people, you know?
1: Yeah, just older queer people being so unapologetically themselves mm-hmm. just was so, it was so nice.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And again, it's just like them them being older really is what just threw me because mm-hmm. I feel like I see a lot of this kind of openness and exploration in somebody who's younger. You know, I would expect it from somebody, you know, around our age. Yeah, you know, and chose to see somebody like 20 years older than us still learning about themselves. That's what I really liked was that even at 49 years old, Jordan was still learning about herself. Yeah. Because I also feel like just before I was like coming to terms with the fact that I'm like aging, is <laughs> one of those things where it's just like at what point am I, am I just going to like reach stagnation? in my development, Mm -hmm. you know? That's the thing. Like, you never stop. And you continue to learn things about yourself even later. Because they always say, like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's bullshit, you know? Mm -hmm. Just very nice seeing her being so open to exploration.
0: Yeah, this book is nice.
1: It really is. Like, the more I talk about it, the more I realize just how much I loved these characters.
0: Yeah, it... God. I also I love the Jewishness in this book. (laughs) I am Jewish and is something that I've really begun embracing over the last year. I have a very complicated history with my Judaism. I don't know if I've ever told you this in particular. I am Jewish by blood. I'm not exactly a convert. But my Jewishness is something that was at best barely mentioned and at worst actively hidden from me Mm -hmm. growing up. And something that didn't really seriously start being talked about until my dad got a Jewish fiance. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, by the way, did you know this about yourself that I've purposefully not told you for 17 years? So I've struggled with that. And the last year, I've really like embraced my Jewish heritage, my Jewish soul. And there were elements of this where, like, I felt like a little bit of an outsider because of specifically, like, New York Ashkenazi Jewish culture, Mm -hmm. which is very specific. Yes. (laughs) Like, if if this book took place in fucking Lakewood, New Jersey, and in the Hasidic community there, I'd be like, I know those people. (laughs) But this not so much, but it was just so refreshing to just have the Jewish culture so wrapped up in everything. Mm -hmm. Like this is part of their lives and it's part of who they are. And they are at least somewhat observant too. It's not just a cultural Mm -hmm. thing. It is also a religious thing. There is one time where the word God is said in this book and it is actually like blotted out, Mm -hmm. you know, G-D, which is a, a Jewish thing. You don't write out God. Oh, I Jordan. didn't know
1: that. I was—I mm-hmm. actually highlighted that because I was wondering why that was.
0: Yeah, huh. it's an observant Jew thing, mm-hmm. and that made me happy to see. It's like yeah. I'm not that type of observant, but I enjoy seeing when people are. You know? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: And do you know what? One thing I loved was not just that the book took place at Hanukkah, but that the book had a thematic reason to take place at Hanukkah. Yes. Because this book is about anti-assimilationism in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Here's uh, where I ask, Nicole, do you know the story of Hanukkah? I do not. Okay, let me, let me tell you in brief. So like, 2,000 years ago, I think more, the Jews were living in Jerusalem at the time. We've gone back and forth living there. Jerusalem was under Greek rule at that time, a sort of like lesser Greek kingdom specifically. The Greeks were banning the practice of Judaism within uh, Jerusalem and within their, their country in general. This group of warriors, a a small band of rebels, essentially, the Maccabees, led by Judah the Maccabee, fought back against the Greek army and won and pushed the Greeks out of Jerusalem. The part that is often the most quoted is the miracle of the oil, which is another like root thing about Hanukkah, where the Jews went back to the temple that they mainly prayed in, but it had been sacked by the Greeks. And there was only one jar of holy oil in there that was like blessed by a rabbi. And they had a a flame in there that needed to be kept at all times. And they only had enough oil to last them one night. But in a miracle, it lasted for eight nights until they could get more oil. So that's the miracle of Hanukkah. And now you know.
1: Very cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I knew a little bit about like the oil thing, but Mm -hmm. not very much. I was raised Catholic and I never really even paid attention to that because at four years old when I was in Catholic school, I fell asleep during church and I got in trouble. I was four. The fuck you expect me to do in church? Yeah. So I got in trouble and at four years old, I declared war against organized religion.
0: (laughs) You know what? Good for you. We love to see it. (laughs) They actually have this whole, like, discussion towards the end of the book about assimilationism, and... So I've been thinking about the Hanukkah story and how it's all about finding back against assimilation, Ernest said, and the room got quiet, listening. He continued, Fighting back against the forces that try to erase us, and how if we stick together and hold on to who we are, we can survive as a people. Ellie nodded and chimed in, There are so many forces trying to erase each of us, including anti-Semitism and the pressure to assimilate in that way, but on every axis of oppression. Every day I go to work and I'm dealing with a medical system that doesn't make room for who I am as a trans woman, that doesn't even research the long-term impact of the medical interventions I'm given and offer to our trans clients. If I didn't have trans colleagues and friends, it would wear me down. This hits each of us in so many ways, Gideon said, and we support each other to remember who we are and hold on to it, even as we get pushed to blend in or hide or disavow ourselves. For me, the pressure to assimilate feels especially strong around being autistic, Leah said softly. Yeah, Judith said. There's so much pressure. It helps me to spend time with other autistic people who aren't trying to mask. It's like it helps me remember to be myself. I love that little conversation. It's... Mm -hmm. Is it superfluous? Perhaps in plot, but not in themes. It's the core scene Mm -hmm. of the themes of anti-assimilationism. One thing I will say is Mm -hmm. uh, I think that if Zan West had written this in 2022, they probably would have cut the line that says the medical system doesn't even research the long-term impact of the medical interventions I've given and offered to our trans clients because that's a horrible talking point that Republicans are doing right now. But also because we do know the long-term effects of this. We just know them on cis people. There are other, Mm -hmm. like, medical things that we do not know enough about for, like, trans people, like, hey, for example, uh, do trans women have heart attack symptoms that cis men get or that cis women get? Nobody seems to have a completely clear answer on it, and trans people have died as a result. Mm -hmm. I love this, but I really wanted to be clear on that, but I also wanted to be favorable to (laughs) to Zan West and being like, Mm -hmm. I think that if this were written today, that that little section wouldn't be there
1: so just looking at my physical copy here copyright 2019 uh when did jk rowling start being super turfy like openly because there were several harry potter references in here
0: yeah i saw that too i was like oh are we really doing this
1: and i'm like would those be in here (laughs) like i don't i don't think they would have been in here if this was you know a newer book
0: okay i'm looking at them yeah they if this were (laughs) if this came out this year not at all i have to imagine when did J.K. Rowling become a huge, a huge public turf? Yeah, a huge cunt. <laughs> uh, oh, hey. Hey. December 19th, 2019. J.K. Rowling comes out as a turf.
1: Oof. This, <laughs> this came out like right before that.
0: It might have been on the same day. I gotta look it up.
1: Oh my god, that's so unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Uh, December 16th, 2019. Three days beforehand. Three days. Oof. Yikes.
1: Unfortunate timing.
0: Yeah. But yeah, it's... Unfortunately, the last couple of years have been very tumultuous for the trans community.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Mostly this year. And I don't know if by the time this comes out, if there's going to be any more huge bullshit. Uh, Because we're recording this on 9-11, never forget. And we're... (laughs) <laughs> we're recording this in September. It's not coming out until Pearl Harbor Day. Never forget, it's not coming out until early December. So <laughs> Oak can decide which of those he wants to use. <laughs> 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 Isn't that fucking weird that we we ended up recording this on 9 11? It's coming out on Pearl Harbor Day.
1: I'm fucking crying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. That's so
1: funny oh my god Uh, oh that's so funny yeah so who knows what's gonna happen between now and the time of release right now currently I think the most relevant thing is the fact that the queen just died uh
0: rest in piss
1: damn R.I.P. girl (laughs) boss
0: (laughs) uh all hail King Chaz the third (laughs) I've seen people like respond to people who are already criticizing Charles being like, The man lost his mother forty eight hours ago. And it's like she's probably pretty easy to find. I think she's probably in her coffin. (laughs) You should go look for her. (laughs) What the fuck were we talking about? (laughs) Anti-assimilationism? Yes. So yeah, I appreciate that in particular. I also appreciate towards the end where they mentioned um, doing a Hanukkah candle wax play. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I like that.
1: <laughs> I didn't think this book was like meme but yeah, little things like that. I just got it. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of just tickled me. So I did highlight that as something that couldn't be classified as like steamy or dreamy, but I think was worth noting.
0: <laughs> yeah. I have a few memes in here. Mm -hmm. They're mostly stuff that I think was supposed to be funny. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: One thing in particular, there's this little passage. Jordan is thinking here. She'd never been the jealous type, but she'd also never dated anyone polyamorous before. Was dating the right word? They were sure doing something new, even if she didn't know what to call it. And it's like, oh no, the lesbian experience. (laughs) The the are we dating (laughs) experience. (laughs) Uh, my boyfriend didn't know we were dating until I called him. And <laughs> my boyfriend, I just kind of blurted it out.
1: <laughs> okay, way earlier on, when we, when we like first started recording, we were talking about like kink stuff. I just want to talk some more about that. Yes. This book, another huge theme here, and you know, this ties in with kink in general is just communication. Mm-hmm. How good all the characters are communicating like outside of the kink stuff too. I mean, just like in the regular day to day, but it got me thinking that I have never been in any kind of relationship where I felt open and like safe enough to try something like this. Yeah. It's just, it was just like really nice to see. I'm like, oh, I love that they're able to do this. I love that they're so communicative and I love that they feel safe enough to, you know, explore different sides of themselves with each other. It was just really nice.
0: Yeah. The safety really got me, you know? Yeah. The trust, I've said it before.
1: All my dreamies, I think, are just moments where you see how much they trust each other. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, am I really that vanilla? But also I'm like, I don't think I can properly judge because I've never felt comfortable with a person enough to do anything like this.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's hard to know where you're at until you have somebody to explore it with, you know? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, piggybacking off of feeling safe and everything. Another thing that was really big in this book was just community. Mm -hmm. Like they had such a great community and we don't see that enough or at all. You know, just every kind of like mainstream thing that you've seen that touches on kink, we don't see any of that. We just see it being like some horrible thing that people do when they're like severely damaged. Yeah. And then even if we do see it portrayed in a way that is, you know, like more realistic, I personally have never seen anything like this, anything go so in depth about Just like the kink community itself. I didn't even think that the community would be like this, you know?
0: Yeah, it's very wholesome, to be honest. Yeah. At least this group of people is, yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm sure there are parts of, I mean, just like in any other community, you know?
0: I mean, we've met Bev.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I really liked seeing that.
0: I really enjoyed seeing like the non-sexual kink scenarios, you know, because I at least so closely associated kink and sex yeah me too uh, which i'm sure most people do Mm -hmm. and i enjoyed seeing scenes that weren't about that i've known that those have existed but the context that i've seen it is more like 24 7 dom sub relationships that are just like terribly unhealthy not that that can't be done well but Mm. whenever i hear about it it's like it's just awful yeah which, I mean, basically sounds like what Leah and Bev had. hmm And to see a nice version of that was so nice. Like, it wasn't a 24-7 thing, but, like, Leah talks about how she's at a party with her other dominant. And she was thinking about how, like, sitting at the floor at her dominant's feet with this Dom's other sub had always felt, like, so right and so, like, connected Her and it's like, I actually enjoyed that. I didn't think Mm -hmm. that I would be into the like non sexual king, but yeah, one, some of it was very hot anyway, and (laughs) some of it was just felt very like nice and secure.
1: Mm -hmm. There were parts of the non sexual king stuff that I personally don't think I would be into, but it really was nice just to like read about.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good segue to talking about the lessons. Yes, the main conceit of this book is that Leah as a Hanukkah present for Jordan has offered her eight kink lessons to like really get her acquainted with Dom subculture and kink culture in general. We actually uh, false advertising uh, (laughs) where we only get four Leah and Jordan promise that they're like going to do more other times but their relationship kind of overtakes those lessons, which is nice and it's fine. And I honestly think that eight of these probably would have would have been too much. I think it all kind of would have blended together. (laughs) Do we want to go through these like these kink bits one by one here? Or just talk about like broad strokes ones that we liked?
1: I think broad strokes work here.
0: Okay, because I'll say the first sex scene in this book is like a fisting threesome. Yes, which was interesting and also hot. I I did actually find it pretty hot
1: oh for sure so yeah let, let's let's talk about that so they go which what what is it like a club or something that they go to
0: yeah it's it's like a it's a play party that i think is held at like a special club
1: which okay i actually had like a meme at that part and it was just mm-hmm. the playlist where i thought it was really funny that like iris by the goo goo dolls was playing <laughs> it was like what kind of like club is this <laughs>
0: Also, music plays such a big role in this book. It's like music and food are two like things that really encompass this book.
1: So I don't know if you had this in your ebook as well, but there is a whole playlist at the end of this book.
0: There is. I did have that. And I was very pleased because when I was getting close to finishing it, I saw in the table of contents like there was a a list of songs mentioned or discussed in the book. I was like, oh, I should go through that list and like make a a like Spotify playlist. And it's like, uh, no, no, Zan West was one step ahead of me. Zan West,
1: thought of everything.
0: Yeah, there's a nice little YouTube playlist. I think we'll link that in the description. So yeah, this club, Leah is going to do a scene with her dance partner, Iris. It's initially just going to be the two of them. And Jordan is going to kind of like do her own thing here and just kind of like vibe in the presence of this club. Leah and Iris actually invite her to to join in this scene to whatever her comfort level is. And this is where like dominant stuff immediately clicks for Jordan. What'd you think of the cufflinks?
1: A natural dom. Talk about the cufflinks thing.
0: <laughs> while Jordan is getting herself ready while, when they're in this room, she like undoes her cufflinks from her shirt and rolls up her sleeves. And while she's rolling up her sleeves, she takes her cufflinks and places them in Leah's mouth to like hold on to. It's not my thing, but I did like it.
1: The first thing that went through my mind was like that is a choking hazard.
0: <laughs> yes, and also I forget if the <laughs> couplings were fully in her mouth or if it was just like the pins that were in her mouth and the the gems were outside of it. Uh, but you're not supposed to get lapis lazuli wet.
1: Oh yeah, I think they said it between her lips. Okay, so good. I'm assuming that the, the stone part was out.
0: Yeah, good, because lapis lazuli is actually toxic when wet, I believe. So check your your gems,
1: kids. (laughs) But yeah, so with Iris and Leah to guide Jordan, Jordan has like her first experience as a dom and she's like a natural.
0: Mm -hmm. She really like clicks with it right away.
1: Something I want to point out that I really liked that we do see throughout the book is just how accommodating everyone is to Jordan's disability. Yeah. Like, later on, there's a part where, you know, she realizes that certain positions make her knee flare up. So they have to figure out a way so that, you know, she can have some sexy times without feeling like intense pain the next day.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So in this first scene here, they actually find a chair for her. And, you know, they are able to bring it near Leah so that she can continue doming her, even in a position that like makes her more comfortable.
0: Yeah. And it's something that like, it's a big deal to Jordan. But in the moment when she needs to use it, like nobody even notices. Like it doesn't, it doesn't break up the scene for anyone. Yeah. Even if it did, it would be fine. But later on, they're discussing like that, that like flare up in pain from a position. And Jordan is like, you know, I, w- I was having pain during like the first scene that we did. And that's, that's why I sat down partway through it. And I don't know, I found the fact that Leah didn't even notice that I found that interesting and kind of nice, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like it was such a non thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, did we talk about the cover? I don't think we've talked about the cover of the book. No,
0: but it's it's honestly so good. Like I've never seen a more accurate like book cover before to the characters as described.
1: Yeah, and so that's why I want to point it out because we were just talking about Jordan's disability. And I mean, right there on the cover, a cane next to yeah. her seat. I mean, like this cover tells you who our characters are. We have, you know... A disabled butch lesbian. I mean, we can tell just by the way she's dressed. And we have a very femme submissive. And they're both fat. Like this cover does nothing to hide that. Mm -hmm. It is very upfront as to what it is. And then, of course, the menorah in the background.
0: Mm -hmm. And they're both visually older. I mean, they got all the details down, like right down to the blue streak in Leah's hair that matches her tattoos. Hannah Zayat did the cover that uh, Zan West even calls gorgeous in their acknowledgments, which it really is. And also, this is such a minor thing, probably. I love the color that they chose for the background. This really like nice soft maroon. Mm -hmm. It's very easy on the eyes and it fits the rest of it like so well.
1: Absolutely. The cover here is I think my favorite cover that we've had so far on the show. By
0: far. I mean, like, what has even come close besides that? Oh, you know what? I am forgetting, of course, the masterpiece that is the cover to "Sunny Says."
1: Oh, but your version.
0: Yeah, my version only. Your your version, the beautiful hand painted, uh, scene. <laughs> Trash. <laughs> yeah, garbage. <laughs> Graphic design is my <laughs> passion. Bright teal with the like half-assed clip art model. It, that's so much better. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, Hannah Zay, but um. Think you were outclassed in that regard.
1: <laughs> but yeah, they're just so unapologetically themselves, this entire book. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. I did love seeing how on every single page we, we saw something about like Jordan's flare ups or someone stimming. You know, mm-hmm. it's just because these things don't just like go away. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's, it is, it, it, that's their lives. And so seeing it just made it all the more realistic.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I love it. So that fisting scene, what do you think about that in terms of uh, steaminess?
1: Oh, that was steamy.
0: Honestly, yeah. I, I never thought that fisting would be something I would be into.
1: The full like puppet
0: <laughs> oh, <no>. treatment. <laughs> give, give him the old Jim Henson. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Absolutely cursed.
1: With the fisting scene, super hot. Also, just Jordan coming into her own as a dom and being like honestly really good at it just right off the bat. Mm. Very hot. It is. Claudia, mm-hmm. would you consider yourself more of a dom or a sub?
0: I think I'm averse to be honest. Like I, I've got my collar here. I'm I'm subby and servicey, but I don't know. I I can hold my own. I I, I consider myself self versatile.
1: I. Would also consider myself fairly versatile because I mean, I, just reading this, I was hopping back and forth between being like, oh, I want to be Leah, and then being like, oh, I want to be Jordan.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God.
1: This book was hot.
0: It really was hot. Like, there are only like three or four actual sex scenes in this book, but so much of it is just hot anyway. Like, I mean, some of the non sexual kink stuff is still hot. And I mean, those three or four sex scenes really fucking nail it to be honest Mm -hmm. and oh boy they like go through a a wide variety of kink stuff in my opinion
1: yeah let's 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 start talking about those because i mean we come we get fisting Mm -hmm. like right off the bat
0: but with that we also get some pain play with like clips and things yes also okay there was multiple bits in this book where leah gets a clip put on her clip like directly and I don't, I don't have one of those yet. But I, I gotta say that that sounds maybe a little too intense. Like, are we talking about fucking clothespins?
1: Yeah, like when I read those bits, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know if I like that." Yeah, that seems like a little much to me.
0: I mean, good for you. I'm glad you like that. But like, it's a little intense. It seems, but you know.
1: You know, my, my legs just kind of like pressed together a little bit like, no, I'm okay. <laughs>
0: no, thank you. The clips in general were good, though. They used the clips a fair bit. I thought it was always a nice addition to a scene.
1: Yeah. Do we want to go through these in order? Or do we want to just hop around? Because I just remembered one of the scenes that I thought was so fucking good. Which one? Leah's masturbation scene.
0: Definitely talk about that.
1: Yes. Oh, my God. Ooh, okay. I honestly think that might have been one of my favorite scenes. So Leah and Jordan had engaged in some Dom sub play the night before. And then I think the following morning was when Jordan was having like a flare up or something and just like wasn't really feeling it. And so Leah was like, cool, like I'll give you your space. So Leah goes to her room, and I mean, she goes all out as far as, like, really setting the tone. She has velvet sheets on her bed with, like, a velvet blanket. She puts on her velvet pajamas, so she's feeling, like, real comfy, real sexy. As far as just, like, a sensory thing, like, she loves the feel of velvet on her skin, so she's feeling good. Mm -hmm. And then... She engages in some self play. So she lays out like her assortment of tools here. So we get some clamps and stuff, Mm -hmm. also a butt plug. And then she's like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be feeling any kind of vaginal stimulation, but just in case, I'm going to have my dildo here. And she starts like playing with herself while thinking of Jordan. And I thought that was so fucking hot. And so she was pleasing herself in a way that she imagined Jordan would want her to do. So whenever she did something, she was like, oh, she calls Jordan, sir. Sir would want me to do this. And then when like, oh my God, like my favorite part of that scene was when she actually started using the dildo. Like she didn't just like go for it. She was like, no, sir would want me to only have like one inch inside of me just to like, like tease me a little bit.
0: Mm hmm. I gotta say, whenever the narration noticeably flipped from calling Jordan, Jordan to calling Jordan, sir, hot, really fucking hot. Yes. Also, I do have a meme for that scene, a solo sex scene. I just thought this was kind of cute and funny. Mm-hmm. Solo sex preparedness was key. She should get a badge or something.
1: Oh, yeah, that one was cute. But yeah, I just, oh, like, just... The whole, like, her thinking of Jordan mm-hmm. while playing with herself was just so hot.
0: Astonishingly hot.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, woo, woo,, I'm sweating.
0: God, I love the scene before it, too. The scene before it is, like, it's not my favorite sex scene, but I think it's the hottest, in my opinion, just, just because it's got all the feral shit in it. And I'm so fucking predictable. Like, you know, you know. anyway (laughs) so leah starts teaching about hair pulling and later on they're going to she's going to teach about like biting, like doing both like safely and for most pleasure jordan starts like pulling leah's hair like really well and leah sinks into subspace and she's like hi sorry i'm done teaching for tonight i i can't do anymore because she's just like already too far gone and i really love that Like, I I gotta, I gotta read these farts.
1: Yes, please do. This was a really good scene.
0: Leah grabbed a pillow and knelt on it in front of Jordan, which was already feeling achingly familiar and right where she belonged. That thought had her heart racing as she talked Jordan through the basic technique on the crown of her head and barely bit back a moan. Then Jordan practiced using both hands on the sides of her head and she did fucking moan but it was the grip at the base of her neck that had her slide right down into submission, her bones all languid, her voice dreamy as she tried to make words to explain how it would make her want to kneel if she was standing, and how this kind of response was fairly common among submissives. Holding Leah by the hair at the back of her neck, she exposed Leah's throat. Jordan stroked a thumb from the hollow of Leah's throat all the way to her chin, and Leah shuddered, a breathy yes escaping her lips. Jordan leaned forward, and her open mouth was shocking against the side of Leah's neck, so unwaveringly sexual that Leah gasped as sparks jolted into her. When Jordan slowly lifted her head, then released her hair, smoothing it with gentle caress, Leah tried to open her eyes again. She was panting and liquid, full of want that she didn't want to wait on. She didn't want to shift back into teaching, she'd already sunk so deeply into submission she wasn't sure it even made sense to try. And then she communicates that and apologizes for that. And Jordan, very dreamily and very steamily, says, That's okay, girl. It's perfectly fine with me. As long as you promise to tell me if I cross lines or you need me to change or stop what I'm doing. You did very well. I think perhaps three things was a bit overly ambitious. You don't need to pack everything in as far as I'm concerned. This was something to store away and think about. Can we talk about this while I'm more coherent, sir? Yes, of course we can. I think that it's just nice to it's nice I like it it's hot
1: (laughs) so a couple more things I want to touch on in this particular scene but first a question Mm -hmm. how do you feel about being called girl like the way that Jordan addresses Leah
0: Um, I think that it's a little too non-sexual for me in my daily life Mm -hmm. like it feels more friendly I know I think there's a difference between girl and good girl Yes. I think that girl doesn't do it for me
1: Agree 100% because when I was reading girl, I'm like, mm, I don't know if I feel that just like being addressed as such. Mm-hmm. Addressing someone as sir, hot. Being addressed as girl, not hot. But then, you know, doing something and then being called a good girl, that's the good shit. The hottest. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will say gender affirming though, I would, I would appreciate that aspect of it. Like, yes, I am. Thank you. Mm-hmm. One quick thing about gender. I really appreciate that Leah's other dom, Ellie, is a trans woman. And that line I read before during the whole Hanukkah bit, that is the only time that that is ever mentioned. Mm-hmm. And Jordan's sister is also a trans woman. And this is a huge tangent. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. That is mentioned way more, but it's because it, it has way more to do with the connection that Jordan and her sister Erica have and Leah and Erica have, where helping her with her transition was such a huge bonding and trust thing. and A way of like caring for her growing up. And I really loved that. Also, I gotta say, I did some math Mm -hmm. and Erica transitioned in fucking 1997. Oh my god. I was 13, like 10 years after that. I could not imagine transitioning in 2007. Like (laughs) it was difficult enough transitioning in 2017. But transitioning 20 years earlier than I did? Insane to me. Good for her.
1: Mm-hmm. My God. Yeah, seriously.
0: Also, straight up jealous. But you know, that's 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 my own shit. I'm just going to put that out there. Though.
1: <laughs> Erica, also in a polyamorous relationship.
0: Yes, she has two spouses. And I quite like that. And they have kids together.
1: Yeah, I really like that aspect of their relationship. Like, you know, that they have kids. Like, I, I just love that. I feel like we don't see that. I feel like yeah. every time I've seen a polyamorous relationship in like any kind of media, it's just like, oh, they just like to fuck and have threesomes all the time. Yeah. They're not like portrayed as actual relationships.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's a polyamorous person. I deeply appreciate that. My boyfriend has two spouses himself and I appreciate being like, oh, I know that. <laughs> I see it
1: mm-hmm. but okay we went on this like Erica tangent yeah. but I want to go back to <laughs> yes, to yes, yes. that sex scene because fucking the part where Jordan is fucking Leah with the dildo mm-hmm. and is saying things like 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 mine mine mine, mine. Yeah. just like being so possessive and then and then Leah responding with yours hello uh.
0: Oh God, it's so good.
1: Because I know that like that specific brand of possessiveness has done it for us before,
0: but Mm -hmm. also
1: Leah's response really did it for me too.
0: Yeah, not just like taking it passively, but actively Mm -hmm. like giving that, you know?
1: It was so good.
0: I also appreciate that in the middle of this scene, they like both do a check-in with themselves. Yeah. And... Leah in particular, I found it very nice because Leah is gray ace. Her sexuality or her like sexual attraction and desire really fluctuates. I found this paragraph both very nice and affirming, but also very hot. She took a couple of slow breaths, checking in with herself to be sure she wanted this and realized that she felt more like getting fucked than she had in a very long time. She wanted to be claimed like this by Jordan. All of her ached for it. And it's like, yes.
1: Yes, because also just like wanting to get fucked by Jordan. Again, the the, the trust, the trust. Mm -hmm. It's the trust for me because, you know, she's allowing herself to be more vulnerable with Jordan than she has with anybody in a long time because of the whole Bev shit. Fuck Bev.
0: Fuck Bev. Bev, if I see you, it's on site. Okay, also, Jewish thing that ties into all this kink stuff. After, like, each of these lessons and each of these, like, special scenes, Jordan sings the Shehekhianu, which is a prayer of firsts. Like, you you sing it on the first night of Hanukkah, the the first time that you try a new fruit after Rosh Hashanah. It's, like, commemorating a new thing, you know? And I really appreciate, like, wrapping the Judaism into it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was cute.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of, like, singing in this book. Yeah. So there was a lot of that just like throughout the whole book. And especially when the two of them were together and just being intimate. And I'm not, I'm not just saying like sexually intimate. I think, I mean, also when they're just like cuddling and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's so very nice. I did like how much like religion was tied into this whole thing.
0: Yeah. It just nice to it's nice. It's nice. I'll also say we got finally the most pure version of what I've been asking for. In all of these books, we got a final sex scene that is the final scene. Yes. No no wedding episode This is the first book that we've had where nobody gets married. <gasps> Nicole. We did it. <laughs> nobody got married or engaged or beast married or fish married. Nobody. Nobody. We fucking did it.
1: <laughs> and as a little bonus, nobody got Perganante.
0: Yeah, nobody got Perganante. Oh, thank God, <laughs> we got nothing. It's great. Um, i
1: love uh, it it's giving nothing <laughs> and we love it
0: <laughs> yes girl give us nothing
1: <laughs> but in
0: a good way <laughs>
1: but like genuinely <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> i can't believe it took us i believe 15 episodes holy shit 14 episodes it might be 13 whatever it took us over 10 episodes <laughs> to find a book where nobody gets fucking married
1: jesus christ but yeah, that was really nice to see. I mean, because very, very early on in the book, Jordan establishes, well, one, that she's Polly. Oh, no, no. I, does she openly say mm-hmm. she's Polly? I don't think she ever, she does like early on in the book. Uh,
0: Jordan realizes that she's Polly later on. And I think early on just kind of wants to experiment with it.
1: Yeah. And she so she says something, so it doesn't say it outright to Leah, but Leah kind of picks up on it like, oh, I wanna, you know, Put that away for a little bit. But then also Jordan has said multiple times throughout the book that she does not want to get married again. Yeah. So it was really nice seeing or not seeing a wedding. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's nice to see two people being committed to each other without it being just them. It's not just me belonging to you or whatever. I'm like giving my love and my soul and my my body to a few different people. And that is okay and good. Mm -hmm. It's good.
1: Yeah, again, like just weddings come up in so many romance novels. And 99% of the time, it's like you know, like whatever, I almost feel like it wasn't earned. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's done to legitimize a relationship, but you don't need marriage to legitimize a relationship.
0: You don't need a a bonding ceremony. Yeah. Because remember, we still get marriage with the shifters and the fish people too. Mm -hmm. But it's like you don't you don't need that. No, it probably helps that this is the first polyamorous book that we've read.
1: It is, isn't it?
0: Unless you count love me whole.
1: I was just about to say that.
0: Which is kind of a gray area. Mm -hmm. I think, yes, Vaughn and Oren and Cohen are in like a two body poly relationship. But also, it's not the same. (laughs) You know, I don't consider some... Never mind, I'm about to go off on a stupid tangent. It's different.
1: But yeah, no, I really do love their relationship. But also, yeah, they already had very strong roots because of their 30 year long friendship.
0: I liked seeing that they have roots. I like that they have roots together. Mm -hmm. I like that they have a relationship outside of fucking.
1: Yes, I really do love them.
0: I really do. It's so good. I will say I also really enjoy how much sensory stuff there is in this book. Um how much like positive sensory stuff there is mm-hmm. I really enjoyed in the solo sex bit where Leia is just like enveloping herself in ve- I want to be ensconced in velvet, <laughs> as as George mm-hmm. Costanza once said. You know if it was socially acceptable. I know you would drape yourself in velvet. <laughs> Um, Leah has done that. And how many like nice little like food and drink things there are. There are actually four drink recipes in the back of this book, which I thought were very cute.
1: Yes. And we need to make them sometime.
0: We do. Next time we see each other, we're making one of these each. Heck yeah. Divs on the cherry lemonade.
1: The ginger lime sounds pretty good. The fizzy one? <gasps> yeah. I forgot there's a fizzy and a regular one. Ooh.
0: I want to say that there are a couple of meme things about their age that I noticed. Mm-hmm. One of them is that there is a scene where like keep herself calm, Jordan pulls out her phone and starts playing Candy Crush and I'm like, "Oh, you really are 49." <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: yeah, that was uh when Jordan was in like the sex shop. And so that is like one of her stims is playing Candy Crush.
0: Yeah, I thought it was cute. And also Whenever there's, like, dialogue that is taking place on the internet, like, in in-text conversations, they all talk like my dad. And I'm like, can everyone not type like this for 10 seconds? I'm trying to enjoy this sexy book without thinking about how my dad types. Oh my god. <laughs> They're both clearly, like, online people like my dad is. And, you know, just the, I don't know, all the, the I don't know, I can't describe it, but I was just like, ugh, <laughs> <With it. laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't really get that. That's because my dad just like doesn't text. And then my mom is like, just does it in Spanish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, those was just a couple of things about their age that made me laugh. <laughs> it's not even laughing at them. It's just like, I don't know, it's just a cultural thing that I thought was funny. Yeah. Oh, also, I'm sorry, one more Mimi thing that just obliterated me was that Leah mentions like how difficult it was to find a therapist that was knowledgeable about queer poly and kink stuff and who she also wouldn't accidentally run into at a play party and the idea of running into my therapist in a distinctly sexual place made me want to fucking die oh
1: my god i would not be able to handle that
0: i would simply perish i would i would <laughs> i would cease to be <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. We were going to talk a little bit about the, like their whole love story.
0: Yes. Because we got to talk about that letter at the end. Yes. Did you cry? Because I cried.
1: I didn't cry, no. But it was very good. Oh. <laughs> okay. So Jordan and Leah, known each other for a long time. And I think it was kind of like a ship's passing in the night kind of thing. Like Jordan was into Leah, but Leah was in a relationship with Bev. Uh, And then by the time Leah and Bev broke up, Jordan was with her ex-wife or something. I think that's how the timing Mm -hmm. worked out.
0: Something like that.
1: But Jordan had been into Leah for a long time. And so this is the first time in a long time that the both of them have been single at the same time. But I mean, their friendship is just so wholesome and so strong that i mean i think both of them at least at some point were kind of like oh we don't want to fuck this up
0: uh isn't that the best trope
1: oh yeah that's so good we see it from leah when they start engaging in like their dom sub relationship learning experience thing because leah's like like, should we do this? Like, we've been friends for so long. And, you know, this is adding a whole new element to our relationship that wasn't there before. How much will things change because of this? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, once you take that step, you can't go back. It's true. It works out, though.
0: (laughs) It does. And I love that it works out. I love that everything isn't magically solved. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like Leah's therapist tells her like, hey, Bev, fucked up your brain and leah's like oh shit that's it okay i'm good now it just gives her the push she needs to like actually try it Mm -hmm. against the worst instincts that she has yeah i really like that i think that's really powerful and i think that um i mean it's really addressed in like the final letter can i can i just read the final letter
1: go right ahead
0: leah makes jordan like breakfast in bed because jordan is having like a kind of bad pain day or had one the day before, or something like that. And then Leah, like, takes away the plates that Jordan was using, and underneath the plates is a letter, which I thought, oh, set in this scene, I love it. <laughs> so the letter says, Jordan, I know it must have been hard to tell me how you felt and for me to shut down like that because a few days prior, Jordan confessed, like, I think we're building a relationship here, like a romantic relationship, and Leah just absolutely shut down. She went nonverbal. She could not handle that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that hurt to get that response. I still ache knowing that I hurt you with my reaction, and I worry about hurting you again, because I know I'll get scared again. The wounds I have are deep, and I patched over them as best I could at the time, but the patches I used cut me off from so much possibility. I've come to realize that I want to be brave, that I want to try to live into the fullness of myself even though it scares the shit out of me. That's the thing about being brave. It means fear is coming along for the ride as you take risks. I worry that I'll hurt you again out of fear, but I figure risking that is your choice. I don't want to take it away from you. After all, you've been so wonderful about supporting me to make choices for myself for as long as I've known you. It's one of the reasons I trust you so deeply. And I do. I want to be clear on that. My fear wasn't about not trusting you. It was about my own trauma, and the ways I'd tried to keep myself safe from harm. But I know now that I need better ways to keep myself safe, and I've been working with my therapist on building that. I'll tell you about them sometime if you want. It's the kind of thing you totally geek out about. It turns out underneath, I do want relationships. I told myself to never look for the moon in someone's eyes, but I think about all the yearning to love and submit and build connection that I had when I was young. How much I hoped and wanted and let myself need, and I want to hug that Leah and tell her to be brave and try for that again. I found an old picture of myself from back then, and I spent a long time looking at my own face and sitting with the way submission filled me with joy. I was so hopeful and happy and fucking gorgeous when I was looking for the moon in someone's eyes. Doing Dom Sub with you has given me a taste of that, because everything in me wants to give myself to you, to belong to you have you claim me and protect me and love me and keep me. I've been scared to let myself want that. To tell you that I want to be yours. So, so scared that if I really let myself submit again, that I'd realize I was a bad submissive in all the ways Bev told me that night. But the thing is, that's the same self-worth bullshit that I've been dealing with my whole life, courtesy of my mother and society and misogyny and fat oppression and my good buddy depression. I just found a pocket of it that I had been festering for years, hidden away in the dark. I know what to do about it. I have a fuck ton of practice and a bunch of tools. It's going to sneak up on me every once in a while, of course. I think it's important to tell you about it going in because it might rear its head in our dom-sub relationship. I also want to say very clearly that this is a me problem that I am bringing to therapy, not a problem that can or should be solved by domination submission or taken on by you. So now that I've shared all of my disclaimers about how I'm a 51-year-old work in progress, and that's going to bite both of us in the ass sometimes, I want to tell you the real point of this letter that's already way too long, which is to say, yes, you're absolutely right. We have been building a relationship, and yes, I want that with you. I want to be yours, to belong to you, to build a relationship with you in all these new ways that still honor all the ways we were already intimate and family and love each other. I want to build domination submission with you and be claimed by you, and have you keep me. The word keep makes me all nervous and swoony, and I love hearing you say it, so please, if you could say it again, I'd really like that. I love the sex we've had more than I've even said, and I love for our kink to sometimes include sex when we both want that. But I also love the ways it doesn't need to be sexual, and how safe that makes me feel to embrace the times when it is. I love living with you and the small domestic ways we share our lives, and want to continue to do that. I want to work out how to navigate all the layers of who we are to each other and make all of them shine, and that absolutely 100% includes the fact that I am in love with you and see the moon in your eyes and want so, so much to be yours, if you will still have me, that is. Hopefully, you're Leah. What a good letter.
1: Seriously. And then, after reading that, Jordan asks her, Mind to keep? Leah's eyes widened and she let out a shaky breath yours she confirmed
0: both very romantic and very hot to be honest
1: yes so jordan says oh and one more thing you should know yes sir i'm in love with you jordan said softly right into her ear that is a very important thing to know sir yes it is i'm in love with you sir good at least that part is already settled now we need to figure out what we're doing at this party (laughs) they're so cute
0: they are cute i really like that I really like them. I like this relationship. I think that they have such chemistry and they're well-written and they're fun, but also have such, I I don't know, there's so many layers to it and I really enjoy that.
1: Oh, they're so good. And- Like, okay, we're getting to like the end of the book here. So, a couple things I want to mention. I don't know if we mentioned the pendant earlier.
0: We did not, though. Okay,
1: so it's a lapis lazuli pendant, and Jordan bought it for Leah, and you know, it perfectly matches her cufflinks. And okay, so here at the end, we have a really big thing happen Jordan puts a collar on Leah. And that's huge because I mean, the last time that Leah, you know, wore a collar for somebody was with Bev, who then fucking cut it up and shamed her in public. Fucking asshole.
0: Mm -hmm. On site.
1: On site. Again, just showing how good their relationship is that Leah is allowing Jordan to put the collar on her. And then to top it all off, instead of like a tag or anything, she puts the pendant on her collar, the lapis lazuli pendant that Jordan got for her.
0: It's so good.
1: It's so good.
0: What better way can there be to like show this person is mine, you know? Mhm. Especially because it wraps around again to the beginning of the, of the book, like yes. the first thing that really hit with both of them. And it's like now this is a thing that they can show each other regularly to like remind them of that bond. I guess is what I want to say.
1: Yeah. So after that, like very, you know, touching moment with the letter and the collar, they go to a party at one of those clubs and they, you know, go into a playroom and we have our final sex scene, which, as you mentioned before, is like literally the last scene of the book. So it is, it is the final sex scene. And it's so good.
0: It is. I will say I didn't like the impact play stuff in this as much as the other like lighter ones in in other chapters but I definitely do get that some people like this mm-hmm. uh the belt stuff did not do it for me yeah to be honest it, it kind of turned me off a little bit
1: belts are not for me I'm good
0: no I do appreciate that they mentioned like be especially careful around belts with people because sometimes that brings up like particular trauma for people
1: Yeah. I mean, the whole belt thing was a way for Jordan to mark Leah. Leah wanted to be marked. And so with the belt, it would leave welts, so marked. Which, yeah. A little too much for me. But good for them. Yeah. Good for her. Good for her.
0: (laughs) And then a lot of the middle part of the scene is... Leah and Jordan reenacting or like fully realizing Leah's like self sex moment halfway through the book where she's like imagining Jordan is there and like giving her commands and things and Jordan is actually there and giving her some commands. And I really enjoyed that.
1: Oh, it's so good. And then, ooh, what really gets me. Then she returned to playing with the clips, loving how the pain made her writhe and clench, and the way Sir kept murmuring, good girl, my good girl, over and over as she watched. Mm. Leah was moaning now and aching to come, but she wanted to be good, and Sir was enjoying this so much, and she ached to give Sir exactly what she wanted. Get your ass over here, girl. I need you on my cock. Like, oh, oh my god.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That'll do it.
1: (laughs) Whew. Yeah, so they're in the cowgirl position. And while Leah is riding her, Jordan says, fuck, you are the hottest thing in the fucking world. And then Leah wants to come and Jordan says, not yet, girl, not yet. Ride me. Tell me you're mine. I'm yours, sir. You're girl. You're submissive. Yours to keep. Please, 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 sir. I'm yours. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's giving me that like giggly kind of, kind of hot.
1: Mine, yes, you are all mine. Such a good girl for me. My girl, mine to keep. While she's riding out her orgasm, hello?
0: Yeah, and then after she comes, like removing each individual thing and like coming as much as she wants as long as she says I'm yours to keep, sir, after each orgasm. And then what I find to be the hottest thing, which is she removes all the clips and Jordan tells her she wants to be the last thing inside her. So she removes the plug while still riding Jordan. Just something about like, I want to be the last thing inside you is amazingly hot. Jordan comes pretty shortly after that. And this very nice moment. Then sir came gripping her tight, shuddering under her, and she took it into her heart to hold on to forever. <laughs> you know, when I read that initially, I thought about, I forget what episode you said this in, but like, <laughs> I, his dick went too far in me, and it hit my heart, and now I'm in love. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what I
1: thought. <laughs> yep. So then, after that amazing and very intense final sex scene, they cuddle together and, you know, they just start like kind of chatting, and it's very cute. You know, you still owe me four lessons, Sir murmured. That's true, Leah said. I like getting to play without a lesson, though. Oh, yes, me too, Sir said, and kissed her cheek gently. I think we can find a way to balance both. Leah says, after all, you do have a kink educator for your submissive. You should use every ounce of her skills, don't you think? Jordan says, it is important to give your submissive opportunities to be useful. An extended study is an excellent idea, and of course, there's Hanukkah next year. I'm guessing I might be able to get some more lessons then. And then they bring up the the wax play. (laughs) Yeah. Leah says, we mustn't forget the Hanukkah wax play. You promised. Jordan says, I wasn't sure you would remember that. Leah says, I never forget promises of this sort, sir. To which Jordan responds, excellent. I'm looking forward to next Hanukkah already. And that is the end of our book. That's the book. That's the book. The end.
0: And listeners, I hope that we gave you as much of an impression of this book as as we could without like straight up just reading you the book. Because like there's so much to cover in this book, but also not a lot to cover. Mm-hmm. it's a lot of character things and it's hard to cover character heavy stuff yes like love me whole was very character heavy and like introspective in building the relationship but it was also plot heavy
1: again just very different from how we usually do our episodes but i think this was the best way for us to communicate the themes of the book
0: yeah it's a thematically rich book and it's it's honestly kind of a beautiful book
1: it really is So that being said, Claudia, smash or pass Jordan.
0: Jordan, I'm going to give a smash. She's great.
1: I will also give her a smash. And how about Leah?
0: I already allude to this, the biggest fucking smash. I find Leah in particular to be so fucking sexy. I'm normally like a butch for butch kind of gal. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, something about Leah is getting my butch for femme going.
1: Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, something about Leah really does it for me too. I think just her being such a good submissive does it for me.
0: Yeah, she's so like in charge, you know? Yeah. And I really enjoy it. She knows what she wants.
1: Exactly. I love a woman who knows what she wants. Mm-hmm. And smash her past Bev, as I've said about other characters in the past. A smash with a fucking hammer.
0: Mm-hmm. I have said it once, twice, three times, I will say it again. Fuck Bev. It is on site. If I see you, I will hit you with my car. <laughs> I'm probably going to take that bit out, but
1: <laughs> Don't leave it, it's fine.
0: Is that okay to say about a fictional character?
1: Yes. <laughs> Bev, you you're lucky you you are you are on the same plane of existence as us because otherwise you'd be catching yeah. these fucking hands.
0: You're lucky, you're a fictional, bitch.
1: <laughs> so, what would you rank this on steaminess?
0: I'm giving it a five.
1: Yep, like, hard five. maybe I'm
0: being real generous with my fives lately, but this is, the last few books we've read have been fives in certain areas.
1: Yeah, this gets a five for me. I mean, this is like undeniably a five. I mean, it's called Eight Kinky Nights. It is very kinky.
0: I'm giving it an eight.
1: (laughs) I give it a 17 (laughs) out of five. Very kinky.
0: Nicole, what do you give this for uh,
1: dreaminess? Honestly, I'm also going to give it a five.
0: I'm giving it a five too. It's so good. It's so
1: good. It's the trust for me.
0: It is. I found so many of these moments were both steamy and dreamy. Yeah. And the stuff that was only one... Also really stood out, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. just, ah, I I wanted to like shake a copy of this book. That's how much I love it.
1: It's so good. (laughs) But yeah, just hard five for Dreamy. And what would you give it for Mimi?
0: Um, controversial opinion. I'm going to give it like a three because I think the main characters are big dorks. And (laughs) I think that's, that's pretty funny. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff that's supposed to be funny in here, but there's a lot of angst in here. But there's also a lot of I don't know. I thought some bits were silly in a fun way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Also I I liked the moments where I'm like, oh yeah, they're like fifty. <laughs> <laughs> I found that was funny.
1: Yeah. I was gonna rank it lower. I'm gonna give it like a point eight. <laughs> That's fine. Like there were a couple things in here that I found a little funny, but I would not call this a memey book. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. This book was great.
0: One of these days maybe we'll find our fabled 555. But uh
1: Didn't we do that for Nanny and the Beast?
0: No, that was uh, a like 535 because oh. we didn't think that the dreaminess was that there. Oh, right, it was so that, wasn't that dreamy. Yeah. It's usually pick 2.
1: That is true. Got that pyramid.
0: Mm-hmm. Mhm. <laughs> so before we go i want to take some time to talk about the author zan west aka cory alexander so this book as you read it at least to me it reads very personal you know it's very clear how deeply involved Corey was in the queer community the kink community the jewish community just in the people around them in their community Corey, unfortunately, passed away in August of 2020 due to complications with diabetes in what was honestly incredibly preventable death, not putting the blame on Corey, but putting the blame on a health system that oftentimes makes you have to prioritize either care for disability or care that will respect your transness and your your identity in general and will treat you with respect, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. When I read this, I really felt conflicted in a lot of ways about doing this episode. Mm-hmm. Because this is such a personal book, and because the author is no longer with us, it felt like, would it be wrong to cover this book? Because, like, is anything we have negative to say about this book a slight against a dead person, you know? And it's not. Mm-hmm. It's nothing personal when we don't like elements of a book. We've said this before, but I think something about how deeply personal this is really, like, struck with me. In their, like, special acknowledgments, they especially thank the kinky asexual spectrum folks who helped them. And they said, you shaped the thinking that went into this book and made me believe that there were readers who wanted and needed stories like this one. And something about that hits so hard in a way that might make me start crying again. Like, I fucking cried the first time I read that because, I'll be honest when I say, as another Jewish autistic disabled stone butch, it feels like a lost peer that I never got to know, you know? Mm-hmm. So in like reading this book, I actually reached out to some friends of Corey Alexander to talk to them about Corey and how they're remembered in their life and in the lives of the people who they surrounded themselves with. And I just want to read some quotes now if that's all right.
1: Uh, you're gonna make me cry. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there is one person before I read these quotes I would really like to thank who pointed me to some other people RB Lemberg, I reached out to them initially talking about Corey, and they said that they felt they've taken up enough space talking as somebody who knew Corey and is publicly Corey's friend after their death. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to include anything from there, but I did want to especially say thank you for pointing me in a direction for people who wanted to give that voice. So I have three people that I'm going to be reading from. The first is another romance novel author, Shira Glassman. Shira said, Corey was an extraordinary person, very kind for one thing, very encouraging. They were a sweet, generous, affectionate friend who read a gazillion books a year and wrote the most comforting. I don't have words. I'm just glad Corey's words and heart live on in their books because out of all my honored dead, they're the only one I have that for and to that extent. I'm the one Tenderness was written for, another book by Corey. I'm the one Tenderness was written for. Corey was there for me during my divorce, and I rededicate Your Name is Love in their memory, since it used to be dedicated to my ex. I miss Corey a lot and think of them often when special things happen in my life that I feel like they'd get. Things hardly anyone else would. And I, I shared my my feeling like, you know, their stuff was really personal it feels like losing a peer. They said all those things, transness, Judaism, autistic culture, stones, butchness, that was all so important to them and affirming it was so important to them. And they said it's just so beautiful. The next quotes I have are from Gayatri. She wrote, Corey was one of the kindest, most patient people I've ever known. Their thoughtfulness and care for others was a thing I love about them. And they were so, so supportive of me, my writing, my journey to be better. I still reference their writing and thoughts on writing to help me and and others be better about our representation. I miss them dearly. Finally, Anna. Anna actually wrote me quite a bit, and I, I deeply appreciate that they were extremely special to me. We'd only just begun a friendship, but it was a very purposeful and intentional act. I reached out to them, we had already been acquainted for a while, and explicitly said, hey, I'm interested in being your friend. Are you interested in that? And when they said yes, we figured out how to best do that during a pandemic. And even just that beginning is significant to me because Corey was the kind of person you could be direct with, be autistic and disabled in your whole self with, and say explicitly what was going on and know that they'd receive it with kindness and hold space, it was extremely restful being in their presence. Our conversations were themselves super autistic and Jewish and disabled, running off with threads of thought, overlapping other threads over them, interrupting ourselves with new ideas we were excited about, and then returning to previous bits of conversation to delve deeper, and also making space to push things back, to end things early, and for not being able to touch certain subjects or only a little making space for brain fog and chronic pain and trauma triggers and needing to state things clearly in order for them to be understood. As far as how I remember them when they're mentioned, I feel tenderness and love for them, but also deeply sad and extremely incandescently angry. I'm still angry because they died too soon of entirely preventable causes and because of the confluence of ableism and transphobia limiting their access to care. It's deeply, deeply wrong. I miss them, but I'm also so grateful that I got to know them as much as I did. Because even in a limited time, they've had such a profound impact on my life. So, I don't know. I, I just um, can feel the weight left behind by them. The space that they used to occupy. And it's a tragedy. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it really is. I Thank you for reaching out to them. Because, I mean, it's just beautiful to hear just about how loved... Corey was and how much of an impact they had on so many people's lives.
0: And how much of themselves they really put out there.
1: I'm fucking crying over here.
0: Yeah, I am too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to make the end of this so heavy, but it was a weight that was really like... Hanging over me this entire book.
1: Yeah. No, and it was definitely worth mentioning. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to leave some uh, donation links to trans charities in the description of this episode. There's also what Corey's friends had asked others to do immediately in the aftermath of their death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just, they were missed. What else can be said? Crying
1: right now. Yeah.
0: This was actually their last book. They died about eight months after this was published. But what a book to end on. You know? Yeah. A book about being totally, completely yourself and letting others in, something that they clearly valued.
1: We hold each other, content to be connected, safe and close,
0: intertwined. There's no good segue for this.
1: There isn't, no, but tell a friend you love them today. Yeah. Yeah. Claudia, I love you. I don't know if I say it enough, but I really do.
0: I love you too, Nicole. I don't think I say it enough either, but I do. (laughs) I'm glad we do this and we get to talk more.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: It feels, I I really feel I've let something out.
1: Yeah. So on that note, donate if you can to any of the organizations that will be linked in the description of this episode. Tell a friend you love them. Claudia, what are we reading next time?
0: (laughs) Next time we are continuing December with Under a Falling Star, which is a Christmas book. We figured each of us gets our holiday book here, and it's probably what we're going to do next year, too.
1: Claudia, where can the people
0: find you? I am at Punk Dyke on Twitter, P-U-N-K-D-Y-K-E. Oh, I can't believe nobody had that at. I almost forgot to say the thing I always say. Oh, say,
1: say, say, say your thing. I can't
0: believe nobody had that at.
1: And you can find me at sexypagliacci on Twitter. That's S-E-X-Y-P-A-G-L-I-A-C-C-I, as in the sad clown. Follow the show at at the Three LW Podcast on Twitter and pretty much every other social. Check out our Patreon.
0: And if you like this episode, leave a review. Give us some feedback. We love hearing from you. We always love hearing when people enjoyed this episode. We actually got uh, an email of criticism recently about Vladimir. So send that too if you want.
1: That's how we know we've made it, baby.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> We're getting criticism emails.
0: <sighs> uh.
1: All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. We will catch you next time. See you. Bye-bye.
0: This podcast was made possible by our patron June B. And by listeners like you. Thank you. Jen, hey, Jacqueline. What do you think the most significant YA book series like the 2000s to the 2010s is? Oh, definitely The Hunger Games. No, no, I mean like... Like, uh, Twilight. Twilight, that's the best No, one. no, I'm talking about the Percy Jackson series by Rick Riordan. Uh, I've not heard of those. If I wanted to listen to a funny podcast about those, what would you suggest? Well, I would recommend Unwise Girls, which you and I host. This is a podcast where we reread, analyze, and frequently joke about the books of the Rick verse, And we see why people call these the best young adult magical series of the 2000s. And we always take time to declare which characters are canonically, factually, not cis-head, because Rick Ryden is not the boss of us. Listen to Unwise Girls every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the Moonshot Network.